abrupt, abrupt stop. All right, let's jump in. I got to do a little devotional thought for today. I like how this devotional thought fits in with right, kind of right where we are, right where we are. Um, I hope you had a good Easter and a good senior trip if you went on senior trip or spring break or whatever. We're back. Positive oh, yeah. thing is, uh, well, the negative thing, if we want to be honest, is that you have to sit through school and we're back, right? Like, uh, we're back at school. We're not free on our break. The positive thing is you're done with school in two months. I know, isn't that crazy? Two, two months from today, I think, yeah, two months from today, you're done. Like, there's no more school. You're done with high school. Ah! Whoa! Whoa! That's crazy. That's crazy. All right? Let's do a few logistical items. One is we're going to finish up book one today. We're done. We, got, we have to. We have to finish up today. We will. We just did last period. So we'll finish that up. Book two all day tomorrow. Okay? Don't miss it. Like, book two, if you the reading's been kind of eh for you and heady and crazy, Book two is, it's just all gravy. It's, you're talking about Jesus and stuff, right? It's Lewis, maybe at his finest. It's really fun. It's really straightforward. Okay, so don't miss that. Someone asked about book three. I'm like, you don't need me for book three. Just have them all. Always read that. It's like, just have fun with it. All right? Um, the, uh, I changed the date for the midterm. <laughs> Sorry, I just keep pushing it back. But I, we're spring. It's spring. We're seniors, right? Yes. Do we really care? I hope not. If you do, sorry. I don't think we do. All right, so next block day, next Wednesday, we'll be doing our in-class midterm on C.S. Lewis and what you learned in this class. I will explain it for about 10 or 15 minutes tomorrow. So you have a whole week to work on it, prepare for it, whatever you need to do. And we will do it in class. If you want to do it ahead of time, you can. You've had time to do it if you wanted to. It's all online. All right, but don't need to worry. You don't need to freak out about it. It's you're going to be you're going to do just fine all right set up for success but i'll explain more of that tomorrow lord of the rings test was about two weeks from yesterday i think we'll see if we need to adjust that but there we go all right get that done and uh and then basically the rest of the semester is story great divorce which is a blast and lord of the rings which will be really fun with lots of video and it's gonna be great okay I kind of like that spring senior year philosophy class. We just end with story, story time every day, uh, which I think is a blast. I hope you enjoy it as well. Any general logistical questions? We okay? All right. So devotional thought. Uh, I love, 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 love Easter. It's my fave. Um, it was really fun at the church I was at on Sunday. Um, pastor after our crazy awesome Easter service pastor comes up and he's looking me in the face and he's all like totally pumped because it was an awesome service he's like Matt I just is so crazy that we're like this is all awesome myth it's a crazy story but it's real and we're in it I'm like I know like we're both sitting there going ah, ah. Just, this is crazy like this is the craziest story ever written that God comes and dies for us and then comes back to life and we're invited to be part of his family forever and it's free gift. Like, it's an awesome story, and we're in it. Like, it's the real story that we're in. So, I, I just love Easter because it's, it's insane. If you really look at that whole story, it's a crazy story, and it's the true one. Woo! Um, 
one of the things I wanted to highlight, I do this every year, I forgot to do it, well, I didn't forget, the timing with my kids just didn't work out this year, um, but we'll, we'll revisit it at some point. I usually do it with my kids at home. I almost always do it with seniors, just timing, this, you know, just wasn't the best timing to try and do it. So I'll take five, seven minutes right now just to give you a little devotional thought. One of the things that I really like to do with students is a kinesthetic activity. Hello. Thank you. It's a kinesthetic visual aid activity. This little pink Jesus blood thing represents that. I usually have another one here. with It's got a little sheep on it. So it's Jesus blood and sheep blood. Two little pieces of paper. They're meant to be red, although it's hot pink, whatever, you know, there you go. And uh, what we do is we, we look at this Old Testament passage on coming out of Egypt. So we have slaves in Egypt, right? Not the promised land. Moses comes in, all the chaos and craziness of the plagues, and what's the last one? Firstborn, right? Um, sorry. Let me close this stuff up. And uh, I think it's interesting to consider all this grace stuff that Jesus is bringing into grace, and he's talking about grace and faith, and that's the good news of the gospel. And when you look at that last plague, it's just pure grace. It's pure grace. How do you get saved? From the angel of death, which is who, by the way? Yahweh. I figured that one out a few years ago. I'm like, oh. I always thought it was like Satan. It's actually Yahweh. God himself comes down to take the firstborn. Whoa. Right? So think of the firstborn that you know. Maybe you are one. Finding out that they're all, they're gonna die. Oh, it's, 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 it's gonna be this huge massacre. Tons of death everywhere. If you want to be saved from that death, what do you gotta do? Put blood on your door, which is weird, right? So you we'd kill a lamb. We'd go out to a class through the door. We'd put blood all over the door. So I, I don't know, maybe you've seen it. There's pictures, I'll put, post a picture maybe, of blood all over my classroom door. And then we would all be doing what? We'd, hide, we'd hang out in here, we'd be eating gyros, right? And matzo crackers. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. And you hear screams off in the distance, you're like, oh my gosh, is this working or not? What the heck? Ah. And we're all hunkering out in here, and the angel of death is coming by, and the screams are getting closer, and they're getting closer. And does the angel of death do this? Angel of Death here. Right. Does he knock on the door? Say, I know you got the sheep blood out there, but was there anybody who made bad bricks today? Anybody who lied or dishonored their parents? Anybody trapped in sexual sin? Like, does the angel of death do any of that? Does the angel of death even say, are you Hebrew or Egyptian? Like that, to me, that's crazy. Like that's really, really, really crazy. Because an Egyptian could have jumped inside the house and what? The angel of death, 
does this. Looks one of the door and just does what? Just keeps going. That's it. Can you get a crazier picture than of grace than that? Maybe the snake on a pole. <laughs> Maybe, which is the one Jesus refers to. I, I would have thought that in John 3.16, he would have said, just as they put cheap blood on the door, for God so loved the world. He doesn't do that. He says snake on a pole. But wouldn't it work to sheep blood on the door? All they did was put blood on their door. Here's the, you guys really want to extend the grace metaphor? Let's go for it. How much faith did they have to have that it worked? I actually, they could have doubted like crazy. I hope it works. I hope, oh my gosh, I don't know if it's going to work. And it's still, they still, the, the angel death would have done what? So by the way, if you're living in doubt, will it work? Does doubt nullify your faith? I got one, two people to shake their head. Does doubt nullify your faith? No. You doubt all you want. Just make sure there's blood on the door. And then doubt. It'll still what? How good did you have to be? Is it, it has nothing to do with behavior. Nothing to do with nationality or race or hair color or gender. Has nothing to do with how much faith you have except for did you put blood on the door, <laughs> right? Which could have been a fool's hope. Like, I hope this works, <laughs> right? Will it? Yeah. I mean, you could be like, I hope Jesus saves me. Well, he will. <laughs> and that crazy, like, to me, sorry, I'm all, it's crazy. <laughs> and that Passover moment is what Jesus did, right? What is it now? Instead of putting sheep blood on your door, some of you have done this. You've asked Jesus into your heart. Part of you wants to say, maybe we should teach people to ask Jesus onto your heart. <laughs> like, ready? I'm, I, I hope this isn't a safe assumption. You got it on you? There you go. So angel of death is walking around. Oh, well, I can't touch him. He's got what? Jesus' blood on him. Well, I'm gonna, I've got to find somebody to condemn. Ah, okay. Right? Like, how about this? I'm going to find someone to punish. Nope. Oh, you got the Jesus blood. Wow. Okay. Did I ask you about your behavior? Do I? This is gonna sound funny. Do I even really care? <laughs> yes, but do I? No, like no. It's like you got the Jesus blood on you. Okay, high five. I'm on to the next person. That's crazy. That's Easter, and that's crazy Easter. Like, what does evangelism become? Well, you don't have Jesus blood on you. You want some? Yeah, okay, so then we just start passing out Jesus' blood. Like, that's evangelism. Ironically, we've turned evangelism into, you don't have Jesus' blood, you're going to burn in hell. Well, I guess there's that side of it, but it's like, hey, you don't have Jesus' blood, you want some? Yeah. Okay, then we just give it to him. Done. Like just, we get to like, carry a bucket around and, like, put Jesus' blood on people. I, part of me wants to make stickers, like, <laughs> right? That's Easter, that's the gospel, that's evangelism. Is it crazy? Now, this is the key. I gotta wrap it up. I'm only doing a few minutes. But can anything, will anything take that off? Your behavior, your whatever, your, your doubt or lots of faith, a little faith, nothing removes it. it. You're stained by it. You're sealed for the day of redemption. It's stuck. I, I When I get some tattoos, which eventually happens someday if I get the money to get tattoos, <laughs> 
blood. I'm going to get a drop of blood somewhere on me. Can anything take it off? What if I go off and become a shaman like my brother? I still got the blood on me. Jesus' blood. There it is. Right? This is a Gatorade commercial. Instead of get it in you, get it on you. <laughs> I don't want to take it off. But I used to do that. I used to like hand it. Maybe we could, if you want, we can still do it. We can do it tomorrow if you want. But like, I used to hand it out. Imagine what it would be like to walk around and see it. you got this on you. How would we treat people? You, you got the, oh. Oh, yeah. And then we like, yeah, but what about the people who don't have it on them? Well, how would we treat them? You want it? You want some? You know, okay. Love you. It's available. Just stick it on you. That's how hard it is. <laughs> right? Thanks. I, I just, I love that. Those, those snake on a pole, this adopted, this grace is crazy stuff. And here's the beauty of it. I'd love for you to catch this. It's not just a New Testament concept. It's not. I mean, Jesus, it's finished. He paid it all. He's making all things new. Jesus is the stuff. He really is the stuff. But all that Old Testament sacrifice, all the stuff going all the way back to deliverance from slavery was grace. Blood on a door. And we get to sit there and eat gyros and crackers and Hang out. All right. Thanks for listening. Thoughts, comments, questions? Welcome back. I'm back to waving my arms around again. There you go. I'll pray today. I'll pray today. Lord, thanks. Thanks for this, this stuff. It's just amazing to think of this Easter story. I, it's like, I hope it's true. And it is. Like, it's, it's so good. It's so good. Blood on a door and we're saved from death blood on our hearts and we're saved from death and condemnation and punishment we're, we're saved we're, we're set free we're, we're we're chosen we're in it's amazing thanks thanks for that incredible gift thanks for easter help us not to miss it and just guide us in class today as we talk about some more of this stuff um, bless our efforts here to make some sense out of it in jesus name amen Book one? Let's do it. Let's just crank through it. If you've got the book, great. If you've got the uh, handout, great. If you don't, i got a few extra, like one extra. Anybody want the handout? All right, we got a few here. Um, I'm going to go pretty quick. I think we gotta just we got to wrap it up today, so we'll just do that. Chapter one, there's a real right and wrong. We don't always do right. Yeah? Chapter 2, page 3. Herd instinct, DNA. We did that, right? We wrestled that one down. That has to do with free will. Social convention. Right? Did we draw the inch in this class? We drew the, there's got to be an objective standard. If there's not, it's all what? It's all relative, right? We did the, the whole Super Bowl thing. Right? <laughs> Whatever. Would have worked well with Final Four last night. Like, have each side pick their own rules. Right? It's just, yeah? So we get it. So on the choo-choo train of this argument, this is, why you, this is what I'd love for you to catch real quick. This is why it's so effective. But I believe in a right run. I don't always do right. Yeah, but, and what Lewis does with the yeah, but, is if it really is DNA, if it really is instinct, then what happens to our first premise? Is there really a right and wrong? No. Does that, does that make sense? 
So what he does is he's got the choo-choo train going, and you're forced to jump off the train if you don't want to keep going. And that's fine. You can jump off the train, but what are you jumping off into? Morality is absurd. But, but is it? What did you start with? No, there's a real right and wrong. Does that make sense? So see why this is so effective. Why Lewis's argument is so effective is it forces you to deal with it. When you get to chapter two, you're like, oh, shoot. So either I believe in a real right and wrong or I don't. Now, how many people really want to admit that morality is completely subjective and relative? Not, you guys, not very many. They really don't. They're going to fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. And then when you really get a chance to back them up against the wall, they're like, I guess that it is absurd. It's just they don't, nobody really likes that. They just don't. Now, what they'll do is like, yeah, I don't like it, but I guess that's it. But see, what Lewis does is it forces you to realize, like, oh, okay. So then, are you really in the argument anymore? No, premise one is gone for you. You're not really believing in right and wrong. Fair enough? So for the rest of the world, which is most people, see why this is effective. Oh, wow. But it's not relative. Exactly, it's not relative. And we didn't make it up. It's got to be something else. Go team. Okay. Let's just cruise now. Page four, which is chapter three. And this is where I have a few, I have some sentences here that help us clarify that, right? Like when you really back them up against the wall, they don't want to admit that anything goes. Ah! So premise number one is we have, they were haunted by this idea of a real right and wrong. And premise number two, I don't always behave that way. Okay. And Lewis does a timeout. Timeout. Guess what? Kind of means that you're not perfect, right? It's weird that he inserts that into the argument because it's not a part of the argument. But he's setting something up. He's setting up book two. Those of you who read book two, right? He's setting up our need for what? A savior. Got it? So baseball players. That's right. We, we did the whole lightsaber thing before, right? No? Who was that? No? Yes? I forget what. But whatever. Okay. So... Can I use you as an example? Sure. Yeah, All right. So Cram is uh, an example. How long have you been playing baseball? My whole life. Your whole life? Okay, sweet. Yeah, Cram. So lots of games of baseball, right? You got another one today? Yep. All right. So let's say, everybody imagine, let's say that up until today, you have always gotten on base. What would your batting average be? Oh. Well, if you, okay, so if you always got a hit, sorry, okay. you always got a hit. 1,000. 1,000. Right? That's a perfect batting average. Mm -hmm. Let's give a little ripple right there. By the way, if that was true at the beginning of this season, who would have been at that first game? For, like, for real, who would be there? High school student, always got on, always got a hit. ESPN, mm -hmm. CNN. Sports Illustrated, like everybody would be there, right? The whole school would be there. Cram, cram. Did he crank them all out? Like he's been all, all season, he's been doing it. Like this is insane, right? Thousand batting average is insane. Now, unfortunately, sorry man, tonight what happened? Yeah, you, you didn't get a hit. You strike out or something happened. So what's your batting average now? You've probably played a thousand games, right? So we'll just call it 999. Yeah? Bummer, but how's your batting average? 
Yeah, what's a normal batting average? 300 is good. Normal's like 250, right? Like two. 300 is really good. He's at nine. Nine, nine. The beauty, you guys, here's the key, and I'd love for some of you to catch this. The nice thing is, is that if you get a home run next, it'll go back up to a thousand, right? What? Now that you guys caught what happened there. He lost perfection in batting average. Once you lose it, can you ever get it back? Ready? Ever. You will never get it back. Ever. This is like high five existentialists. Thank you, materialism. In material reality, you've lost perfection. You'll never get it back. Even if for the rest of your life you got a hit. I don't think it clicked for anybody. What happens with idealism? Once you lose it, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you do to try and clean up your mess, will you ever get the perfection back? Come on. Not if it's a physical reality. Can you see why idealism theoretically could work? Your physical reality, where you've messed up, it's all shadow. Whew, good thing. So as long as I'm spiritually perfect, then we're fine. Which, what does Christianity say? Yeah, physically, you know, batting average, morally, physically, I know I'm not perfect physically, right? Batting average, I know I'm not perfect. But what does Christianity actually say? What does Jesus say? He ups the ante. What does he say? Are you spiritually perfect? Are we? No, we're not even spiritually perfect. So we're not spiritually perfect, we're not morally perfect, we're not physically perfect, we're not perfect. And once we lose it, can we ever get it back? No matter how good you are. Did that click? I mean, it should feel a little redundant, but I think the batting average one is really helpful. Because once it's gone, it's gone. All right? Lewis is setting something up here. I don't know if you caught this, but what, what he's getting at is if there's a perfect guy with perfect standards, and I'm not perfect, I lost my batting average, no wonder I'm what? Not there. No wonder I'm out. No wonder there's tension. Yeah? All right. Thanks. Hope I get a hit tonight. <laughs> All right. So, ready? So, I, I think, ready? should we just, we'll cruise? Chapter three, then, is, oh my gosh, I'm not perfect. There's an objective standard, and I don't meet it. Ah! So, clarification. Um, it's not a matter of behavior, right? Because if it was just behavior, that's like the caribou and the wolf. It's got to be something different than just my behavior. Another clarification is it can't just be convenient. Because doing good isn't always convenient, right? <laughs> Showing up at school. Uh, like... Doing the right thing isn't always convenient. And, and ready? By the way, is describing what we do necessarily talking about why we do it? I can describe to you that a wolf eats the caribou. Do we really know why? We, we, we observe it and we think, well, because it wants lunch, but maybe it hates caribou. You know, like, why is different than what? Are we good? Okay. Sweet. Here's the key. We can't have made this up. 
it can't just be about behavior. And, and actually, we're dipping into chapter four a little bit, but it can't just be nature or natural either. If it's just nature or natural, I'm part of nature. That doesn't work either, does it? We good? So it's got to be what? It's got to be objective. Chapter four, or anything from chapter three. We good? Chapter four then, page five. Um, so then we've got the materialist view, the romantic view, the religious view. Boom, boom, boom. I love it. Lewis just shoots those all out of the sky. <laughs> and none of them work. Remember, I love this. It follows then that it can't be us and it can't be nature. Because if it's nature, I'm part of nature. That doesn't work. It's got to be something else. We good? Ironically, here's the beauty of this. It's got to be something else. But if it's, if it's something else and it's not nature, what's the only way for me to verify it? Well, if it's outside of me, remember the whole Faith Island thing? If it's outside of me, if it's this cup, I don't know. I, how do I trust it? Yeah? The closest place that you're going to trust it is if you find it where? Not just outside of you, but where? Inside of you. And conveniently, where do we find the moral law? <laughs> inside of each of us. But if it's inside of me and it's a part of me, then it's relative. So it's got to be inside of me, but not a part of me. Oh my gosh! Thank you, C.S. Lewis. Is that what we're tracking? That's huge. So it's outside of me, but I find it within me, but it's not me, and it's not nature. If it's just a chunk of rock or just something abstract, does that really work? No. And here we go. Premise number four. There's something directing the universe. It appears as a law inside of me, urging me to do right, making me feel responsible when I do wrong. It better be some type of a mind. Otherwise, why am I following it? I have a mind. It better be bigger than me or at least like me, right? <gasps> Go team, we tracking? Chapter five then gets us to that place of, <gasps> it's not me, it's not the universe, it's urging me inside of me, but it's not me. It's something, okay, ready? If it's something, it better be a mind. If it's a mind, ready? This, it better care about right conduct, because I do. Well, it better care. And does it? Yeah, of course it cares. <gasps> but is it going to say, well, Cram, you need to do right. You don't. Is it going to do that? No, it's carte blanche. Who's in? It, it, everybody's in. We're all in it. It's not like you're in and you're out. It doesn't care about individuality in regards to making exceptions. It is a moral law. It's a standard for everybody like that ruler. But here's the problem. If it's impersonal, why do I care? Which means it better be personal. And since it is personal, and it is good, absolutely good, and I know that I'm not, it cares, it's perfect, I'm not. What? Ah! I love this line. We know that if there does exist an absolute goodness with personality, it must hate most of what we do. Isn't that horrifying? Now here's the beauty of it. Mo many of you are really good people in this room. But even today, are we going to get it right today? Some of you will go throughout the day without sinning, rock the house. You really will, because sinning is like choosing to do evil, right? Ironically, though, most of us, at least once or twice, maybe more, 
screw up and choose the wrong thing, don't we? When we do that, though, this thing, well, what? It hates that. Ah! Are we, are we tracking here? Like, this is huge tension. We're stuck. But if it is, then we're making ourselves enemies to that goodness every day. It's after you've realized that there is a moral law and a power behind that law. After you've broken that law, put yourself wrong with that power. After all of this, and not a moment sooner, sooner Christianity begins to talk. It's that little black bead on the whole little bracelet. It's that sin thing saying, uh, you're not perfect. God is, and he cares. Shoot. Done. Questions, thoughts, comments, concerns? You doing okay? There it is. I think it's really interesting that Lewis takes us to this point. I asked a student last class, is this good news? No, no, but wait a second. What makes this message actually good news in the context of philosophy class? What makes it good? Have any of you ever had a hunch that you're not perfect? I have. Have any of you had a hunch that God is? Yeah. Like, does that make sense? Do I, are any of you, like it says in here, are any of you on his side? We should be, be being good and we don't really like wrong. Anybody? Like, see, the thing, the, the good news here is that this matches reality, doesn't it? We look around and we're like, yeah, nobody's perfect. I sin. I, it, like, it fits. That's why it's good. It's hard news. But it's actually good news. Guess what it really makes it good news? You're not perfect. Neither am I. That means we're not who? I'm not God. Has anybody had a hunch that you're not God? I have. Like that's, you know, it's like, take a deep breath. <laughs> I'm not God, and there is one. That, that actually, to me, is actually really comforting. It validates the fact that I'm not God. It explains why. Explains why there is a God. And why he hates evil. And so do I. Ah, that's good news. It makes sense of reality, doesn't it? See why we need book two? What else makes it really good news is there's a savior in this. Ah, all right. Thank you, Easter. Like, there we go, right? This, you guys, this is the whole point of the class in some respects. This is the why. This is why we need a Jesus. If I know I'm not perfect, only a perfect being could make me perfect, and that being actually exists. <sighs> Yay! Fair enough? Cease striving and know that he exists. Yeah? All right. So, here's what I want you to do. Um, we are going to, let me just quick do something here. Let me get uh, Bono. And here's the thing. Some of you are going to appreciate this way more than the whole thing we just did. All right. If you don't like that whole moral argument, if that's all way too heady, if that's just too much to grasp and wrap our brains around, that's fine. If you have more questions, come and talk to me. I can help you hack through the, the arguments. That's fine. I've been doing it for years. The best thing you do is just to roll around in it, practice it, do your best, read it 20 times, 
try it out with friends, and just keep getting better and better and better and better at it. The more you lean into it, the, the more you're going to understand it, okay? Here's the thing. I like this. Here's a song that Bono wrote that fits it. Now, as we listen to this, I want you to remember, who's the she? It's a love song to who? I think it's a love song about God, right? So as we put this up here, let's let Bono be singing about God. Let's let him be helping us understand the tensions of this paradox. Now I'm going to talk over it because that's what I do. But I think there's a few things worth highlighting. So let go of the whole near future anything if you want to. Let's let Bono explain it to us. that I'm waiting for you. We have this sense of waiting. Where is he? And he's Emmanuel. He's with us. But, right? I love that. And you give yourself away. That was Easter. God, for sure. Anybody a little tired? Anybody a little beat up? <laughs> I love this. Anybody feel a little desperate? Like I'm at the end? And what does God do? He gives. And He gives. I want to be in heaven, but I'm on earth. At least I'm not in hell. Ah! Right? I know God's with me. But where is he? Right? Like, where is he? Ah! 
across there. appreciate Bono in that like there's, there's tension here isn't there I think the, the poet and the artist is like we're stuck I can't live with him I know it like, but I cannot live without him and I love him and he keeps giving himself away but I want more you know it's like ah ah I love that ah just yelling like ah but but it but it fits reality like that's where we are it's the paradox and the tensions are satisfying because we get this. And yet, I love how Bono doesn't leave us totally hanging. Like, what do we do in the midst of that tension? We do what? Shine like stars, right? We can shine like stars. As we, and then the rest of that verse is, as we hold out the word of life, the word that gives life, one heart, one hope, one love, Jesus is available. Book two, we have the perfect penitent. He's our Lord. He actually does resolve the tension in the midst of the tension. Right? I think that's the beauty of it. Is you and I know that the paradoxical tension that we live with is our reality. We see through a glass darkly. We're saints, not sinners, but we sin. He's all powerful, yet this world's chaotic. Right? He sees us as righteous, but I know that I'm not. Like, ah, ah, right? I'm going nuts. He can heal with the touch of his finger, and he often does, and then he doesn't. Like, what? What's going on? There's tension here right now, but that truth can allow us to live in it, right? The truth of the paradox of Christ allows us to live with that tension, if you're willing to let it. It's, it's, it's a satisfying tension. Fair enough? Go team. Don't miss book two. Nice job today. If you didn't like the whole argument, go with the song. If you don't like the song, go with the argument. If you don't like either of them, find something that works, right? 
There you go. Make your own song. You should, Dylan. You should. There you go. Why? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All right. High five to Jerry Root. It's going to be awesome to hear him speak today. Go get a front row seat.